success looks so easy from the outside, but all successful people have had to overcome enormous obstacles along the way. And in many cases, look failure right in the eye. Most successful people don't focus on the struggle and rarely do they talk about it because quite frankly, that's not what creates success. Join us here where we will chat with fierce female entrepreneurs and share the good, the bad, and the ugly of entrepreneurship and talk about the obstacles we have faced and how you can overcome them to reach the success that you desire. I am your host, Cami Lehman, and this is the She's Invincible Podcast. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today on the She's Invincible podcast. We have one amazing guest for you. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, you're ready. Get ready for it. Are you here for it? I'm here for it. This is Robert. He is one of those rare individuals who embraces change and lives by a philosophy which he calls possibility in action, taking his desire for transformation and putting it into action daily. Born in New York City, Robert has also lived in Abu Dhabi, Dubai, Rome, and now lives in a small Italian village in the National Park of Abruzzo. Received his MBA from Columbia University and was quickly recruited by one of the world's largest sovereign wealth funds, the Abu Dhabi Investment Authority. In 1997, it was shortly after accepting the position that he and his wife were confronted with an extreme life event that shook the very foundation of all their hopes and dreams. Desiree, his wife, while pursuing an MD, PhD, was diagnosed with stage three breast cancer right before her 31st birthday. Despite their trials, both Robert and Desiree thrived. Unfortunately, in 2009, after an 11 year valiant battle, Desiree succumbed to metastatic breast cancer. In 2014, Robert decided to leave his comfort zone to pursue what he deemed to be a more purposeful path. Throwing caution to the wind, he pursued a childhood dream to live in Italy and a passion born while caring for his wife to become a life coach. He now lives in the same Italian village his great-grandfather immigrated from over 100 years ago, and he is now a certified coach, adjunct professor, and international guest speaker, and are you ready? the author of the most amazing brand new book that just came out today, Chasing Life, The Extraordinary True Story of Love, Joy, and Achievement Against All Odds. You guys, please join me as we welcome our second man ever on the She's Invincible podcast, Robert Party. Welcome, welcome. Here Thank you are. You so much. Oh wow. Number two. Number two. This I hope I do ever. the first guy proud. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you will. I'm sure you will. And this has been so fun. And so I just am, it has been such a joy to meet you, get to know you and your story. I'm in love with your wife. Uh I just just every story, just I just 
I feel like I know her and yet I never did get to meet her, but I feel like I'm meeting her with every conversation that we have. And I'm just so excited to have you here today. That makes me really happy. Really, really happy. Uh, I, I just, you know, I want to show her off to the world. Uh, she's still, she, she is a big, if not my life. Um, but yeah, so I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled to death. Oh my gosh. This is such a joy. So let's do this. Let's sure. just jump right in. Let's tell our listeners how in the world did you get where you are today? And what makes you invincible? Sure. Um, I'll start with the invincible aspect because I think I'm, I'm a big believer in resilience. And I believe that resilience is not bouncing back. First of all, I always ask myself the question, why does anyone want to bounce back? Why not bounce beyond? Why not transform, right? But what invincible is, is to get back up. You need that invincibility to stand back up and then take that leap, right? But the invincibility is, is that you're down in the dirt, you know, there's sand all over you, you're rolling around and you're like, yeah, I'll show you. Boom. And you back up. Um, I actually, it's something I learned very early on in my, in my childhood. So I, I grew up uh, in a dysfunctional relationship with an alcoholic dad. And it wasn't until around the age of 13 that I actually learned how to stand up for myself. That was the last time that I was ever touched again. Uh, it was a typical bully syndrome. And that led me on the whole invincibility, resilience, grit mindset. But I fueled my life with anger. My whole idea was to get away from my dad get money, have independence. So to me, money was, you know, I also grew up in the Gordon Gecko era, right? So, you know, Wall Street and Ronald Reagan, and I'm like, yeah, money. So uh, I then, I'm, I'm in university and I meet this, ah, this force of nature, truly this force of nature that just walks in. Here I was trying to be, you know, the preppy, I had a whole image of my what the way my life was supposed to be. I was chasing a girl that was going to be perfect with the Connecticut family. And I was just going to become something other than the Italian American middle class guy that, you know, was born in the Bronx. And this girl just like I was, first of all, hippie skirt, you know, feather earrings. I'm looking at her. I'm like, oh, what is going on here? And she just she was strong. And I wasn't, I wasn't used to that because in the Italian American family I grew up in, you know, the men stayed at the table, the women picked up the dishes and washed the dishes. And she just, wow. A month, basically a month later, she, she was 17. I was 19. I was, I was talking to my mom and I told my mom, I, I, I met the girl I'm going to marry. She's like, it's impossible. You're only, I'm like, no, I just, I know it. I know it. So, and that led us on an, an amazing journey. Um, and there came a point in time that I was thinking of changing my career, actually, which is so funny. She was doing the MD PhD. She was just about to finish up her PhD. And I was thinking of going back to school. I was like, you know, I want to do something more. I don't know with people. This isn't what I want. This served me to get money to get away from and change my life, basically, or I thought it did. And 
we were like, okay. She's like, as soon as I graduate. But then I was offered a job in Abu Dhabi. And it just, it was great because it was either going to be a nice sum of money or a nice sum of vacation. But that she was still in school, we decided to take the vacation. And every six weeks, we were going to meet in a different country. And it just sounded like such a, a great thing. We both said, we're young. Why not travel now? When she finished her PhD, she decided to take a, a year off of school to come live with me in the Middle East. And to get a residency visa in the Emirates, you have to go through a health screening. And they had found the cancer. Actually, she had found the cancer a year before, but we're talking the late 90s. She was 29, just about to turn 30. The doctor said, look, you have cystic breasts in your family. Don't worry about it. Because that really was the case back then. You know, a 29-year-old was not going to go for a mammogram. Um, and that just started a whole spiral of things which we could get into. And she had a very specific way she lived life and a very specific way she wanted to confront her disease. But, you know, she pushed herself as hard as she could. Um, she achieved really impossible, impossible dreams. And after she passed away, I had a, I had a look at my life. What did I do? I ran back to money right after she passed away. I had a huge amount of debt and it wasn't really for the medical system as much as it was her telling me, Robert, you know, sometimes I get really worried. What, what if like this chemo doesn't work? You want to go to Puerto Rico tomorrow? And I just buy a ticket, right? Because look, let's do something right. Fun. Um, also because they had, given me a 24 to 30 year, uh, 30 month life expectancy when she was diagnosed. And she did live 11 good years, despite chemo almost every week for 11 years. Um, and when I was in Dubai, I couldn't find my rhythm. I completely, my internal compass, uh, they call it a bussola in Italian, which I like that word better. Um, but my, my bussola just changed. Uh, and one day, I never thought I would come back to Italy, actually, um, because this is where she spent her last birthday. Um, her, her, her 40th birthday was in Rome and then in India. And I just... You know, to me, it was like, no, there's no way. When I landed in Italy, because the dream was bubbling back up, that childish dream, that childhood dream to come to, come to Italy, I just said, no, I, I need to see if I could do it. And that's that whole invincible thing again, the whole resilience thing. It was like, you know, I'm put on this earth and I'd rather get that scar trying than sitting and watching my life pass me by. And I showed up one day with two suitcases, no job, um, honestly, no money. I started teaching English for $8 an hour. Um, despite the investment banking lifestyle, I had spent all my money. So I had to like pay off the hospitals and everything else. Once everything was paid, um, I, I came to Italy. I didn't speak the language and just said, you know what? I want to see if I can pull it off. I want to see what I'm made of. I already saw what I was made of in terms of protecting my wife or taking care of my wife, I wanted to see what I was made of for myself, for crafting my own life. And that's how I wound up in Italy. And funny enough, I come from the same town that Madonna comes from. Uh, so I know her cousins, which is very odd because she's never been here. And I'm like, your cousin is Madonna. <laughs> like, you know. <laughs> uh, but 
I just fell in love with this little town. I came here for some documents and it, it literally felt like home. And there were a lot of things that nurtured my soul because I changed. I also aged. I matured. Um, I'm in the middle of a national park. I'm surrounded by mountains. And I had a total under the Tuscan sun moment because I said to the townspeople, oh, I'd really like to buy a house, you know. And I was looking for like something small, right? I'm a single guy. You know, just give me a one bedroom something, right? They show me this one house and I'm like, no, this is going to be way too big. They're like, just take a look at it. We walk inside. There are birds everywhere, bird droppings everywhere. Just it's filthy. It's been abandoned. They say, take, take a look from the balcony, but don't step too hard because it's, it's um, about to fall off. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I really want this house. Thank you very much. I, I stood on that balcony as best as I could and looked at this open valley in front of me. And I said, this is where I need to be. So that's sort of a long version of how I wound up in Italy um, and sort of some of the forces that helped me transform my life. Oh my gosh. What a story, right? Like, and you had said this to me before is that like you had to figure out what you were going to do because you had all these plans, right? You were going to live in New York, be married to Desiree, you know, and, and do all these things. And all of a sudden those, that plan was not going to work and you had to figure it out. But you know, what a blessing in the fact that you did have a vision, right. For something else that was for you that you could do and that you pursued that. That is amazing. And I can't imagine like getting rid of everything and like showing up in Italy with two suitcases. I, I couldn't fit like two suitcases of what's on my desk right now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you you, you know, one of the things that's so interesting in, in this journey. And I think, I think Desiree and I both embraced the journey as it was a lesson whatever the outcome was going to be was going to be, but there was something we needed to learn. And this is going to sound really crazy to a lot of people, but basically the day after she passed away, I called up dress dresses for success. I donated all her clothes. I sold or gave away furniture, paintings. Um, you know that the story of her passing away was on the front page of the New York Times, and it just happens to be me standing there in an empty apartment with a painting on the on the floor and my dog. All I had left was the mattress. And what I realized is we don't need so much. And so I was able to show up in Italy because with two suitcases because I realized I w- for me to live life, I needed to be light. I needed to be open to possibilities where a lot of that possibility and action comes from, because there's this saying of it's better to hold on to life lightly than tightly, because then you're able to embrace new opportunities in new seasons because you're able to let go of, of the older things. If you're holding on to everything, you, you're going to, you're going to miss a lot of what life has to offer. And the expectation I had for my life, actually, that was what I needed to grieve more than Desiree. I needed to grieve the death of Robert, the husband, Robert, the caregiver, Robert, the lover, the friend, all of because my identity vanished. 
a big core of my identity vanished. And then there's, you know, there's feelings of guilt moving on. You're, I actually, I love acronyms and I could kill your audience with acronyms, but I say that grief is guilt, rumination, impermanence, expectations, and fear. Those are the five rings we have to go through. We have to, we have to wrestle those to the ground. Yes, there's anger and denial. That's emotion. But where does it come from? It comes from those things. Having expectations, not wanting to let go of them. Oh, life was wrong. I should have had all that. Impermanence. Everything changes. You know, um, I can tell you, I found a gray hair the other day, like in my eyebrow. And I'm like, what is that? <laughs> you know, so everything changes. <laughs> uh, you know, fear. Fear is, is a tool. It does tell us when there's danger, but what we've done is we've made it something, we've made it an excuse not to actually try, not to step out of our comfort zone. Yes, of course, you shouldn't do um, harmful or dangerous things, but you know what? I thought to myself, the worst thing that's going to happen if I show up to Italy and I don't make it, either maybe my old company is going to take me back or I'm going to go wind up living with my mother. I'll be a 50-year-old man living with my mom. But you know what? I'd rather take the chance and look back on my life and say, remember that time when I went to Italy and I lost everything and I had to go live with grandma? <laughs> you know, like um, talking to my niece and nephew, because unfortunately, Des and I didn't have any children. So, um, but we make fun of my mom all the time. So that's awesome. Oh my gosh. Oh, so let's talk a little bit about loss, rebuilding life, just, you know, there are people out there that are going through that right now, right? We're, we're coming out of, right? I say that with great hope, out of a pandemic, yeah. there's been so much loss. There's so much grief. There's, you know, and, and like, how, how do you rebuild? How, you know, what are some of the, the things that you did that helped you to, to really get back up. I mean, you were down, right? You, you, that really knocked you flat on the ground and you had to get back up. So let's yeah. talk a little bit about that. And what advice would you give to people? What are some of the steps that they could take? Sure. If they're going um, through something like this. You know, what's really, what's really interesting is if you're, if you're thinking about loss and, and people that have lost someone close to them find this a very difficult concept, but let's say a woman going through menopause, that is a loss. Uh, a man with erectile dysfunction, that's a loss. Loss of a job, a divorce. Loss is at its root, it's all about identity. It's, it's basically, it's a lack of knowing yourself and it's a lack of security because all of a sudden the world doesn't feel safe. And there are many, many different ways to, to work through it. Um, but the key to understanding loss or understanding where, how to move forward is really understanding yourself. And so for, for me, I started journaling when Desiree was diagnosed. I was never a journaler. I thought it was the craziest thing in the world. Um, it, it helps 
get things out. There's two types of journaling. There's something called release writing where you just write and write and you throw it away. It's, it doesn't have to be legible. It's not something to go back to. You know, we're, we're not Marcus Aurelius leaving a journal for somebody 2000 years from now with great insights, right? You know, so, um, but that's part of it is being able to, to look inside and, and understand what your dreams were. And how does that shift? Who do you want to be? You know, the, the, these are the questions in a way that that help you, right, moving forward. The, the other thing as well is gratitude is extremely, extremely important because part of what happens in the loss is, first of all, you feel different than everybody else. Then you're starting to look at, and let's leave Instagram alone, you know, if I could burn my phone because, you know, um, but I need it for work, right? So, um, but, you know, we start comparing ourselves and comparison is, is corrosive. Comparison says, I'm not enough. I don't have enough. The other side of that is admiration. Admiration is a fuel to grow. It's looking at somebody and saying, how did they get there? I can do that. They're a role model, but we live in a comparison type culture. So when you're feeling loss, you, you fall into sort of a victim feeling. Um, part of that comes from not wanting to accept that life is what life is. You know, we're not meant to survive it. And we quantify life based on time. You know, my mom, my dad was, I think, wow, what was he, 59 maybe, um, when he passed away. My mom still talks about how he was taken so young. And, and I was thinking, well, my wife was 41, but that's okay. Um, but, you know, is it that people, like, I don't know, thinking about time, time has no, nothing to it. It's a measurement. But how well did that person live? The joy, what did they give you? Um, and for me, I looked at, you know, Desiree didn't go through all that chemotherapy just for herself. She went through that because she didn't want to leave me. She didn't want to leave her family. She didn't want to leave. Wow, that is a great expression of love, right? Saying, I don't want to leave. Um, so I look at that. I look at what I learned to give her. And I look at the loss. And I look at what did the loss give me? It's a very hard thing. Um, it's called benefit finding. It's part of something, a process called reframing. It feels very unusual because we are trained from when we're children, but also our brain has a default for the negative because that's how our species survived. You know, you see a stick, you get afraid it might be a snake because way back when, when our brain was originally programmed, the snake could have killed us, right? Now we live in more civilized, but it's still, we have this fear mechanism. So part of it is looking for the benefit. You know, what, what did it give you that you can use to change your life? And changing your life is not, doesn't necessarily mean picking up and moving to Italy. Cause when I tell my story, a lot of people think, oh, well you moved to Italy, of course. Well, first, you know, if I could tell you <laughs> some of the things that happened in Italy, it's crazy, but um, it's perspective to change your life has nothing to do with money, has nothing to do where you live. Those can be other ripples, but it's your perspective. And so if you're moving through loss, because you will never get over loss, 
what we live in a society, move on, get over, plow through, suck it up. Never happens. That loss has changed you. That loss is part of your fabric. It's part of, I like to think of life or ourselves as a mosaic. It's a piece in your mosaic. Desiree is this big, beautiful piece in my mosaic. But so there's, there's moving forward with it. We're living life forward because um, I'm a spiritual person, not necessarily religious person, but there's um, the Psalm that says, um, as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the key concept is to walk through. Don't go sit in the valley. You know, don't start roasting marshmallows in the valley. No, you got to walk through the valley because that's what we're here to do. We're here more than anything else to understand ourselves because the legacy we leave is how we lived. I think I said this to you once before, something like that. We are, each one of us, whether we have a, a blog, a podcast, or nothing, we are content creators. We might not know it, but our actions are content in a story for someone else to say. And so what content, if you suffered a loss, what content were you given that you can use? It's very difficult listening to this, especially if you've suffered a loss of a loved one, is very difficult. But what I suggest to anyone is that it does start with perspective and it does start with asking yourself some questions because you don't, I don't think anyone, if they're suffering a loss, wants to feel that state for the rest of their life. I'm sure. And I think that they don't know how to not, right? So they don't have the tools or the skills to figure out how to get out of that state of mind or that emotional state. And yeah. like, then that's why I'm so grateful to have you here because I know Thanks. you're going to help my friends because you know, they're suffering. And, and so we have messages for them today too. Sure. Um, so I, if I, I, I could just interrupt, I just wanted to say yeah, one thing that you yeah. Yeah, grat gratitude in it more than anything else, because the other practices like mindfulness, journaling, mindfulness is very difficult for a lot of people at the beginning. Um, journaling people feel uncomfortable because they don't know what questions they're supposed to be answering and then the journal sort of becomes uh i feel really crappy today this happened that happened instead of saying um you know i started thinking about things differently but gratitude is easy gratitude is seeing how full your life really is um a lot of times it's, it's guilt that holds us we we think we shouldn't feel good you know, I just suffered a loss, especially if you suffered a loss of someone you love. Wow. You know, but that, that, that person wouldn't want, everyone says this, that person wouldn't want you to suffer. That's where I was going. So, okay. and we talked about this was, you know, and I had asked you what, um, what would Desiree have said, right? If I had a conversation with her and we knew that she wasn't going to be here. And I said to her, you know, what, what does she want for you? You know? And so let's talk about that. Let you can sure. answer that question now for our sure. listeners. Sure. Sure. Um, I, I know 100. Now I just want to frame this for your listeners. Um, I know instinctively because Desiree and I, never talked about death. It was, we can talk about her philosophy, but we never talked about those things. 
Um, so it wasn't Robert, you know, if I pass away, I want you to meet somebody else and have children. And no, it was taboo. But I know because of the way we lived and regardless of her suffering and all of the things that happened in our lives, we embraced joy and she would want to make sure that I never disconnected myself from joy. She would want to make sure that I, I lived a joyful life. That meant with, with somebody new, that means with somebody new. If it means what I'm doing now, uh, it means what I'm doing now. But to, to not give that up, because what is the real gift we have in life? It's that mystery and wonder of what life really is. You know, we're joyful when we're children because... And if you think of some children, if even if a pet dies or their grandmother dies when they're young, they're sad and then maybe, maybe they'll go play like five minutes later. And it's not because they're immature or ignorant or uneducated. They're in a state of the wonder of life and not all the fears and worries and everything else we have as we get older. Um, and her journey, our journey together taught me about joy. So for sure, that would be her answer to stay connected to joy. I love that. I love that. And you are doing that, right? We talked about that. Yeah, I, I, I am doing that, um, as, as best as I can, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll share with your audience two unusual things. Um, two years ago here in the middle of a brute. So I had no idea that I actually had ticks. I contracted Lyme's disease and I didn't. I didn't treat it because I didn't know I was bit until I got really bad, you know, arthritis and stuff. And um, I'm suffering from long COVID at the moment. So, um, you know, I look at those things and the perspective I learned with Desiree is I could say to myself, my, you know, life is really kicking me, right? Or I could say, ah, you know what? Yeah but that's not going to stop me from enjoying this. And I'll find a way to enjoy it. Like I love to run. I can't run at the moment because I have the COVID toes. And um, so now I sit on my balcony in the morning, which I didn't do. I would drink my cappuccino faster. I sit and spend more time. And there are these swallows outside, which they zoom around in the morning like crazy. They're just like jet planes all over the place. And I get to watch that. And oh, there's joy. It might not be running. And so it just opened up another opportunity, which is why I'm always back to that possibility and action thing, because possibility. I love that. And if you look for joy, you'll find it, right? Sure. Yeah. And it's different for everyone. So different for everyone. Okay. So let's talk about this. I have, I just have, I mean, we could do this for like three hours. I know. Yeah, we can, certainly, but, certainly can. Uh, there's so much to talk about. Um, so there are people going through this right now, right? What would you say to them as far as like the, the way that you managed, that's the only word I can think of is that you managed this disease for Desiree. Um, and you were the one who carried it all, right? And you gave her what she needed in small doses. Can you share like how you supported her through this as her spouse? There's, there's women out there that are listening right now that are going through the same exact thing. 
could you share with them some of the things that you did that maybe they could pass on to their spouse sure. that could support them? Sure. Um, for a little, for a little clarification, uh, Desiree, when she was diagnosed, she didn't want to know anything about her disease. Not one thing. She said to me, Robert, um, I know enough to be dangerous to myself. I don't want to judge anything about myself. I just want to go on with my life. Will you carry this for me? And of course I said, yes, because that was the gift I could give her. Right. Um, and except for periods here and there, she didn't, she always, I mean, by the end, she probably knew, but she, she knew the cancer spread to her liver, but she didn't know it was also in her bones, her lungs, her peritoneum, her small intestines. She didn't know any of that. Um, so the thing is that first I realized that there was a lot of purpose in it. Um, and what I mean by purpose is that I was giving myself to support the woman I loved to achieve what she needed to achieve. So the difficulty and because I am a guy, I think it's more of a guy thing, but maybe it's not, you know, we want to be superheroes. We want to fix, we want to save. Um, we get frustrated because this is the protocol you should be, you should be following. What I learned um, when her cancer recurred, because that knocked me off my, my entire platform, um, was the fact that my job wasn't to fix, my job was to support. And I needed to give her space to be the woman she wanted to be to love me. I needed to give her that space, which was a gift to me because then she was, she was my wife and she was a person before she was the patient I had to take care of. It's, it is very hard because again, you get into that idea of surrender and you know, it's, it's a word that has a bad connotation. And I will say it is the bravest thing in life to do. It's hard. I could get teary eyed thinking about it because it's so hard, but it is when you allow yourself to focus on now, you say, I can't, I can't control the future. And this is not just with the disease. This is our life. We can't predict the future. We can't control life. I'm going to focus on now. What is it that Desiree needed now? And it became much easier because it became integrated in our life. It didn't become our life. My life was not caregiver and she was somebody that needed care. We were Robert and Desiree, the couple, and there was this aspect. I had to overcome my fears of not doing enough and had to accept, I can't fix it. So you know what, she needs love. She needs to be seen as a woman. She needs to be heard. She doesn't need to be told everything is gonna be okay. Oh my God, who am I to say everything is gonna be okay? But, you know, look, we're gonna do everything possible. We're doing everything possible. What, and this is, it's a difficult dynamic for a relationship for sure. Um, but the couple needs to have a conversation. And the woman has to explain 
Or if it's the reverse, it could be a woman that's taking care of a man with cancer, right? What do you need from me? Nobody wants to have that conversation because it brings what's really happening to reality. You're all aware of it. We're doing it every day, but ooh, we don't really want to talk. What do you need from me? Because then you're also admitting you can't fix, right? And um, that I think is, is the most important. And I tell you that from a couple point of view, when you start to have that conversation, your relationship is most of the time much, much stronger. There are people that can't handle the, let's say the calling. Um, I wound up volunteering in, in the doctor's office. Uh, I became a uh, chemotherapy companion. Now there was no such thing, but I created it because we met this amazing woman while my wife was going through chemo. I was at every chemo appointment as Ray had, and I was always in the chair. I don't know how they allowed me to sit in the chair with her, but I was in the chair with her. And um, we met this woman, Robin, and we started talking to her and she was diagnosed with um, triple negative breast cancer. And her husband divorced her. And it, I, I couldn't, under, I literally couldn't understand it, but I then said to her, she didn't have the same schedule as, as Desiree, but it just happened. We met a few times and I said, Robin, when's your next treatment? And I went, I sat with her. I made sure she got home because imagine having chemo for two hours and getting in a taxi when you're nauseous to go back home all by yourself and make sure you're paying the money correctly. And I was like, take you home. She lived on the Upper West Side in New York. Make sure everything's okay. Get your medicines if you need medicine and then go back home. It made me understand how someone that is going through a chronic or terminal disease, how unbelievably admirable they are, how unbelievably strong. And, and you were such a gift to her because I so, can't, as a woman, even imagine going through that alone. And she was forced to until you showed up. And that was such a gift and a gift from Desiree too. I mean, she's got cancer and now her husband's going to go help this other woman. I mean, seriously, that was a gift. Yeah. What yeah. a gift. I And I think like that's another way of getting through it, right? Is being, being the helper, being the one that, that can get into action, as you say, possibility in action, like look around, what can you do, right? right? You might not be able to fix it, but you can give them whatever else they need, right? And exactly. Whether it's love or or whatever, help or support yeah. or uh, hold a hand, right? That is amazing. And I actually, yeah. I'm glad you brought it up because I actually wrote it down. So yeah. And then the other thing I definitely want you to share, because uh, I hope we can share this um, through the podcast is your visit with Oprah. Like everybody in the world wants to be with Oprah, right? And you guys did that. And that was so amazing. Like literally, I cried. I I cried. I watched it and I cried. I watched it a few times. Uh, not today, because I was like, not today, right? Uh, but yeah, so let's talk about that real quick. Uh, sure. And um, I, I actually do cry when I watch it. So um, Oh, sorry. So it was very funny. Um, I came across, well, no, actually, Desir Desiree came across um, on the internet that Oprah was having a special show graduating against the odds. And she said, Oh, it's so, it's so sad because it's for, you know, just high school 
but you know, I would love to be able for people to see, you know, you, you can achieve things, even if you're going through chemotherapy and everything else. And so now this is really sort of pre that pre internet, but it was 2002. I just, every sort of angle I could find to get in touch with Oprah, the Oprah show. And I said, look, I know that this is high school kids. You need to hear this story. And I told it, I told them the story immediately. And, um, I told Des, you know, that I, we were going to be on Oprah and, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm so proud of my wife. Uh, and I call her my wife. Uh, people are, are catching that. I call her my wife and she came out on that stage and, um, Oprah said, welcome, Dr. Desiree Party. Now, they had told Desiree, you know, don't, don't touch Oprah because that's the rule. Don't, you know, don't touch Oprah. Oprah opened her arms and my wife dove in. I'm hysterical crying in the audience. I mean, I'm a mess. I just, I don't know. I was a big puddle. And Desiree hugs her and then Desiree couldn't say a word. She just kept shaking her head because she wasn't, she was so awestruck in general. And then Oprah turns to comments about me, but then off camera, she was like, boy, you have the ugliest cry. She's like, you're not supposed to bring that ugly cry in my studio. Do you see all these people crying? And there was a woman next to me. I mean, like she just, the tissues were coming out of the box. All I kept hearing was, but, um, so it was just, I think in a way, Desiree, from the very beginning when this happened, she believed it was a gift that she needed to use. And the universe, and I know this sounds very corny to a lot of people because I was one of those people that I don't like the universe, but the universe did open up opportunities for her to use her experience. Up until the very end, I mean, that the New York Times article was being written and it wasn't complete when she passed away. And they decided to take it in a different direction. And I knew it wasn't necessarily a flattering. It, it was flattering and not flattering. It depends on how you read it. But I knew it was going to be a little more controversial. And I was like, my, her whole life's mission was for people to talk about cancer and palliative care and patient choice. At the bottom of all of this, whether it is a patient or not a patient, you know, you think of, of Viktor Frankl in the world, or uh, I don't know if you know who Edith Egger is. I just love that woman. She's also a, a, a Viktor Frankl. You know, she was a Holocaust survivor. She's 93. She's still doing TED Talks. I mean, I love the woman. And they talk about choice. Choice is our right. And choice doesn't necessarily come from walking into, you know, a Nike store and having 25 pairs of sneakers and not knowing which one to choose. It's how we think. So um, that, that's the Oprah story. That was probably going to be my good. So along the line, I'll come up with another good. <laughs> so let's talk about this book, this book that just went out today. Oh, my gosh. I cannot I, wait I, I, to read it. I can't, I can't believe it. I, I literally, this has, this started actually um, because a friend of mine, a friend of ours 
who was also a chemotherapy patient that got to know Desiree, wanted to know more about her story. She was fascinated by Desiree. She was fascinated by us. And she's like, you know, just, you, you lived such an incredible experience with her. You know, just tell me about it. And she was putting it down on paper. And it became a labor of love for the both of us. Um, we, we stopped it for a while, then we returned back to it because there were so many important lessons. Um, and it's not a coaching book. It's not a lesson book. It is a journey. You're going to walk through her, her life's journey. Um, and it's called Chasing Life because it's that whole thing about before when we talked about time, right? Your life is not measured by time. Your life is measured about how well you live it, how joyfully you live it. And so chasing life is about overcoming complacency, waking up and living your life on purpose, which is her example. And it just is something that I'm, I'm thrilled to death. Um, the more we worked on it, the more it moved me. And that's when I knew it was ready because it reminded me of the shifts that happened in my life that I don't want to forget um, because it is easy to fall into complacency. It is easy to be, you know, lazy and let life happen to you. But at the end of the day, you know, first of all, I'll tell you right now, you're not going to remember that how that new car felt on your deathbed. Um, yeah, you might think about your money because you're giving it away. You'll remember laughter. You'll remember joy. You'll look back. And I know this because I saw the way she was living. And I saw the way she was dying because I, I knew she was dying before she, she did. Um, though she probably, of course, felt it. Uh, but she became very purposeful and she didn't need things anymore. It was about the experience. It was about what she was leaving in terms of how she touched people. I mean, this woman got on, we, we would get on a plane sometimes the day she got chemotherapy, she would fly to India and she would work in a hospital as a volunteer. And I'd, I'd be like, you know, that's where, again, right, the man, the caregiver, you're supposed to protect her. We're going to India. Are you crazy? Your immune system. But I had to hold that space and I had to do what I could con control the situation so she wouldn't get sick. But that was more valuable to her than me giving her another, you know, um, protein shake. Right. So, um, that so chasing, soul, chasing right? life is that fed her soul. Like if, exactly. If, yeah. Like you can drink all the protein shakes you want, but that doesn't feed your soul. And no. you were able to give that to her. That yeah, is amazing. And, and, and she was able to give that to other people, right? Like for as long as she lived, she was still able to pour into other people and make an impact in the world, even in India. Yeah. And she, she didn't let anything stop her. She, and, she was fueled by that energy. Um, and that makes her invincible. A one hundred percent, you know, um, the the book doesn't go into how she passed away, which was which was um, she knew she was going to die in pain. She knew she as aggressive as she was being to 
battle her disease, one day her body would just give out. And it gave out all at once. I woke up um, and she wasn't in the bed. And I walked into the living room. I found her on the floor, rolled up with a black lad garbage bag, vomiting into the bag. The bag was almost full. Um, took, we took her to the hospital and uh, we never talked about, we still hadn't talked about death. She was doing what she could in the hospital up until one point, um, you know, I was in the bed with her and she just, she squeezed my hand and we had signals, hand signals. That was our thing. And she looked at me and she said, Robert, I'm tired. And I said, okay, baby rest. And I knew she said her journey was over. Um, but up until that point, she fed off of what she gave. The more she gave, the more she could give of herself, the more she could use her experience, the more she was able to do things that I sometimes looked at her and I said, oh, my, I can't believe it. Now, when you talk about it fed her soul, I look at the pictures now and I think to myself, oh, my God, she was so sick. I didn't see it because I saw let's say her soul, I saw what she was doing. I chose to do very unusual things when, when she, when she actually died, she died in my arms. Um, and I asked the hospital if I could actually bathe her body. I don't know why I, it's nothing to do with religion. I, I'm a Catholic. I don't think we bathe the body. I don't know where it came from, but I asked to bathe her body and dress her before they took her away. And, um, when I turned her over, she was only in the hospital for 10 days. When I turned her over, her back was full of sores. And I looked at her and it was in that moment, I realized in my mind, I said, baby, you were never this body. Like you were never this body. And it helped me with my grief because I was just able to say at that point, yeah, she, she's okay. Cause this wasn't, this was just what she needed. Um, and then I also, I asked to be the one to, to put her furnace in, in her coffin in the furnace because I needed to sort of be there till the very end. Um, and interestingly enough, when we were in India, um, this guru person had said, you know, oh, you know, God takes care. And when somebody close to God dies, God's going to send a golden chariot. So I'm sort of like, where the F is my golden chariot? You know, because like. And the wall to the entrance of the furnaces, there was a beautiful golden chariot painted on the wall. I don't share that with anyone. I don't know why you made me feel so comfortable to share that. That just sort of came out, but okay. Um, so. Uh, I'm dying over here. <laughs> Just so you know, I don't even know how you did that. And I don't know. I don't even know how you talk about it. But right now I, I can't. I'm just. I don't know. I no, it's hashtag no words, right? Hashtag no words. Okay, no we'll words. move to the next question. Yes, yes. Oh my gosh. Okay. So June 21st, 2021. Yes, it's your day. It's amazing. Yeah. It's, 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 it's actually a long time. Um, this date was one, I, I just liked the 2121. So that was my thing. But uh, Desiree loved the summer solstice. She, whenever we could, had to make sure that she sat and watched the sunset. 
it was just it's the longest day of the year the color to her was 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 very special um i can't tell you how many times when we were really had no money you know get a cheap bottle of wine and a pizza and go sit you know on a bench on the the west side we take the the bus over and just sit there drinking out of the bottle <laughs> eating the pizza watching the sunset because you know we didn't have we we were we got married very young she was in medical school i wasn't making that much money at that time but it, it was such an important date to her and because the concept of the soul thing and everything else god she was the brightest light she probably will oh yeah she will be the brightest light in my life and so introducing her to the world on the brightest day is just something well the world the northern hemisphere um yeah it's just something something re really really special and I know I've told you this as well, you know, this whole journey, the reason why I am able to talk about it, even though there's some things that, you know, shake me up a little bit is the fact that I am, and I say this all the time, I am beautifully scarred for having loved and cared for my wife. I mean, it is a scar I'm proud to show. It is, wow, I, I, I earned it, but I only, I didn't earn it only because of what I did. I mean, that's, that's because I loved her so much and because she gave so much of her to me, herself to me, right? So that comes, all of that, I think, comes into when, if you're a couple and you're approaching a disease, try to understand how not to let the relationship get sick. The disease should not infiltrate everything. Um, of course, it's the person's decision, whoever has the disease, of, of course, how they manage it. But that's why conversation is so important. Well, this has been amazing. And I just want to say thank you for sharing sure. this day with me and this book launch. And I am just over the top excited. And I want to remind our listeners to go jump on the show notes right now and click the link. So you can purchase this amazing, amazing book that is bound to hit the top of the charts. Such an amazing story of great love and a great life lived. Thank you so much. No, thank you. Thank you so, so much. And tell our listeners where they can find you. Sure. The best way to find me is, is my website, which is www.robertparty. And my name, even though it sounds like party, 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 it's P-A-R-D-I dot com. Yes. Yes. Okay. Awesome. So, and you can just click the show notes if you're listening right now and go right there to that website and also click the link to get the book. You will not want to miss this. And now a word from our sponsor, Christine Trumbull, founder of Coaching the Climb, understands the challenges of building a successful business. She's faced many of those challenges herself and helped hundreds of clients build successful businesses. With the launch of her new podcast, The Climb with Christine, you will hear the same advice she gives her clients, as well as conversations with experts in a variety of topics, including business, health, relaxation, mindset, kids, 
and fashion. Check it out on iTunes, The Climb with Christine, and be sure to subscribe, download, and give her a rating and review. Okay, so you know, I know you've been listening to our podcast. I love your podcast. Thank you so much. I love that you love it. And I appreciate that so much. And, you know, we're mostly speaking to women. And and that's really what to me was so deep in my heart that I wanted to have you come and share this story because your wife, Desiree, was invincible. And she allowed you to be invincible in the ways that you two lived your life and your relationship and your marriage and your love and all the things. And, you know, there are women out there today. And I love what you said about the comparison and admiration, because, you know, that's our stuff here. Like women are comparing themselves. That is the whole reason why I took the time and effort to start this podcast. I could not figure out how to get women to stop comparing themselves to other women. And I thought I'll fix them. I'm just going to bring them all these women, you know, they, they, they got to stop, but if they're not going to stop, then I'm going to show them the truth because the truth is not in the successful, confident woman. The truth is in the journey. The truth is in the obstacles that they overcame and the way they had to get back up. And, you know, I know you're not a woman, but I got to tell you, there's just no way I can let you be on this podcast and not put you in the hot seat to share the the bad and the ugly. You just cannot get away without it. So I'm just so excited to share this part with you and hear your stories. Um, So let's start with the good. The good. Okay. And I, I want everything to be tied to Desiree as well. So, um, so the good. So Oprah, Oprah would have been great. Um, We had a lot of good in our lives. And I think that for me, one of the really goods was at right at the end of her, her life, right before she passed away, she was given the opportunity to speak. Um, it was a very critical speech at a VNS hospice in New York. And I'm using it as a good because this woman had chemotherapy sores on her tongue, in her mouth, down her throat. She gave an hour and a half speech. She refused to stand behind the microphone. She walked around. And the reason that I say it's good, and regardless of the fact that, you know, she was maybe, she was five foot one at that point, she was probably about 75 pounds. Um, And she had all these sores. One, I think it's important for the listeners to realize that there is a good even in that, like, you know, adversity doesn't mean that everything is bad. I watched this woman give her entire self to a cause that day saying how important it is for patient choice to listen to patients, to, to communicate just so many different lessons. So that's, that's my good because I watched her. I watched her shine brightly. I watched and that, that was, it was so good. It was so beautiful. And she left her mark, right? She did. She gave all she had and then some, and then some, and then she left her mark. Yeah, that that was that was the last basically work thing she did. 
she gave that speech. Um, she was scheduled to be the guest speaker at Mount Sinai's white coat ceremony. Um, funny enough, she passed away in Mount Sinai Hospital um, a day or two before the ceremony. They actually invited me to the ceremony, which, which I went to, and I don't remember much uh, except the dean of the school who actually wrote the forward for the book um, and wound up being a great friend of ours. I just remember her holding my hand and the both of us just silent tears. I mean, the tears were falling, but so, um, but Desiree did leave her mark. And so that's my good. I love that. Oh, I love that. All right. And now the bad. The bad. Okay. So I had to think about the bads because I do know your podcast. So I know the bad was coming up and um, it's part of that whole perspective thing that it was hard to find, but I'm good. I'm going to talk again about her passion for work. And so she was given the opportunity to speak at in San Diego. And it was really not advised that she fly for so long because she was already having a lot of circulation issues because of the cancer in her um, peritoneum. And she didn't know that she had the cancer there. So I couldn't really say, no, we can't go because of but we figured it out. She gave a great speech. We got on the plane and we were grounded for six hours. No water, like they couldn't open the galley. I don't know what it was. And her legs started to swell. Then we take off. She was in a lot of pain because her legs were swelling. And I'm trying to, you know, I had learned because she had lymphedema uh, after the mastectomy, uh, I had learned how to wrap her arm. So I was trying to, with whatever I had, like I took off my, my shirt and I added, you know, like a thin shirt. And then I had a t-shirt underneath. I was trying to wrap her leg. I wound up sitting on, I asked, went to the front of the plane and I asked somebody if they would move. Um, so she could have more room. And I wound up sitting on the floor in front of her so she could put her legs on my head. So at least there, you know, they were sort of not above her heart, but it would help the, um, the swelling. And so that was a bad because, she gave this amazing speech. She was so excited. And by the time we got home, she was in incredible pain. She felt just destroyed and it took away some of that joy. Um, but once we were in our own setting and like I was able to explain, we're going to get this under control. Don't worry about it. But of course, she also knew what swelling meant in the legs, right? So it was an indication there was cancer where I was telling her there was no cancer. Um, and those were things she didn't want to know. So, so that was a bad. What a guy you sat on the floor so she could put her legs up on your head. Yeah. Well, take it great. The team. She, she had great legs. <laughs> so. <laughs> oh, so that probably helped then. Right. Yeah. Oh my gosh. All right. Well, we're taking the turn, the hard yeah. left. We have to go ugly because okay. we are here to help these people get back up. All right. Um, I'm surprised I'm going to share this to tell you the truth. It, it is, it is in the book. Um, it is the ugliest moment I I've ever had in my life. Um, I had some pretty dark, ugly moments when I was a child, uh, for sure. Um, and this just brought everything to another level. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to read the, the passage. Um, I love that. Okay. Uh, last time I, <laughs> I read it, I got emotional. So, um, okay. 
It tore out my guts to watch her going through chemotherapy yet again. And one night, while we were visiting my mother, it all got the better of me. I was having yet another drink, and my mother started harping on me. You've become just like your father, she yelled, exactly like him. That did it. It was the proverbial straw. Do you have any idea what's happening in my life? Do you? I screamed at her. No, you don't. You don't know how it feels. I can't save her. Don't you get it? I can't save Desiree. I should just kill myself. I screamed, tears of rage and pain clouding my vision. I grabbed a kitchen knife. I was spiraling. I swear the only thing that prevented me from plunging it in was the look on Des's face. As miserable as I felt, as much as the pain and the hurt were tearing me apart, I saw the look of concern on her face. This is not the way it should be. She asked me to be her rock. What the F are you doing, Robert? I thought to myself. The empathetic, compassionate look on her face and that questioning voice booming in my mind shocked me back to reality. I needed to learn to surrender and let go of what I couldn't control. I needed to stop fighting against life and trying to save her. I needed to start fighting for our life together, regardless of the remaining time we had left. It all became clear in an instant. I collapsed on the floor. Desiree came over to me, hugged me from behind as she always had, pressing her body into me, letting me know we were one and whispered, I love you, Robert Party. It's all going to be okay. Okay. Well, that's ugly. <laughs> ugly and, and beautiful. Yes. And that was what I was about to say. And look what it made from that. It was like, I just keep thinking as you were reading, like the sculptor and the clay, right? And how that, that was like one big glob of messy clay. And then, then it turned into this. Yeah. And that is so amazing. And it was Can her, I it was her love and her affirmation, right? It was her yeah. words that got you through that. And that is amazing. Yeah. Again, another gift, one more gift from Desiree to get so. you. And literally, like, I don't know if you realize this, but you were face down on the ground. Oh, yeah. Just like these women that are listening right now. And you had to get back up. Yep. And yep. sometimes, sometimes we need, a lot of times, we need that love and that affirmation and that that person, right? Your person, your lobster, right? Yep. Who just- Your lobster, yeah. Your lobster, who just, who just, you know, spreads out over top of you and gives you, it's almost like a transfusion. That energy that they give you in that moment is what you need to get yeah. back up. Yeah. And she yeah. gave you that. She and you'll never did. forget it. And, you know, I think like those are like skills and tools for the toolbox because as awful, right, as that is, there are other times where you're going to struggle and you can just feel that. Can you take yourself? I got chills. Like when you read those like last three sentences, I had chills come over my whole body. So, so to me, that's, that's a tool that you keep with you for the rest of your life 
that when things get hard, that you can walk through that again and you can feel her presence. 100%. And you can feel her love and you know she's there. She's never leaving. She's always there and she's always with you. And that is amazing. It's that beautiful scar. And um, can, can I share a quote with you? Because you said something that made me feel I need to share a quote. Absolutely. When you were talking about sculpture, um, my most favorite quote is by um, a gentleman by the name Richard Bach. And he wrote Jonathan, Jonathan Livingston Siegel, but he also wrote a book called One. And in that book, he says, we're all born with a block of marble and the tools to shape it into a sculpture. We can drag it behind us untouched, which would be inaction. That's my, I'm adding that. Um, we could pound it into gravel, anger, or we can shape it into glory. That's what Desiree did. And that's love. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I just feel like I don't even know what else to say. This has been so amazing. Thank you so much for sharing so much. I know it's not easy, right? I know it's not easy. We're all girls out here. You're a guy, you know, I just, I so appreciate you doing this, sharing this. And I cannot encourage our listeners enough to get that book, Chasing Life by Robert Party. You have to hear the rest of this story. You just got a little, little bit, uh, but don't miss out click that link in the show notes and get it. And the thing that I'd like people to understand is that joy is found in the ordinary moments and it's the ordinary moments, which make life extraordinary. Okay. So, Thank you so much. Yes. Oh my gosh. This has just been amazing. It's such a joy for me and such an honor to have you share this, but also share Desiree with us because we didn't meet her. And so now we feel like we know her and we can love her too, right alongside Great. of you. And that is amazing. No greater love. Okay. So let's do this. Yeah. I'm going to have you finish this sentence for me. Sure. And then we're going to wrap it up. The world would be a better place if more people knew blank. The value of their uniqueness. I love that. Oh, my gosh. The world would be a better place if more people knew the value of their uniqueness. That is amazing. You are amazing. Oh, well, thank Congratulations. you. You're amazing. Look at this. Invincible. I mean, <laughs> the people you're helping. And um, I was so honored when, when you, you asked me to be on the show because I wanted to be a window for Desiree. I knew I was, I actually thought I was the first guy, but I'm the second guy. Uh, so, um, but I, I really just think it, it you're doing great work. Um, because nobody should compare themselves. Um, and if you think about that, the value of uniqueness, hell yeah. I was how just thinking that. How can you compare yourself? You can't, you can't, you're always better. You're the only you, right? You're your you're, best you, yeah. you're the only you you'll ever be able to be. Yeah. Stop comparing yourself. Oh my gosh. Okay. You guys, you know, what's next. I don't know where you are in your life or your business even in your health. But if you're face down on the ground right now, get back up, girl. Get back up. You can do it. 
Hey, thanks so much for hanging out with us today. If you were inspired or learned something new, please subscribe to the podcast, give us a review and share us with your friends. For more information about me and how I can support you, please stop on over to my website at camilehman.com and book a free call with me. I'd love to meet you and learn more about how I can support you.